So I had another episode and was in another place. And apparently I was called down to the, what I would call the head shed, yet once again, because my roommate thought I was disturbed. Imagine that he was in the same place I was. He thought I was disturbed because I knew, having gone to some 12-step meetings, that I knew enough to pray. What I was praying to, I had no idea. However, I'll never forget this particular interview when I sat down. A psychiatrist came in. There was a person uh, taking dictation, and it was one of the shortest interviews I ever had. He asked me, sir, tell me, uh, Mr. Allermeyer, I understand you pray. And I said, yes, I do, doctor. And he says, tell me, Jim, what is prayer? And I said, I believe it's talking to God. And then he said, oh, you talk to God, do you? And I kind of knew where this conversation was heading. And I said, yes, I do. And then he asked me, does God talk to you? And I said, well, I like to think so. And then he asked me the question, do you hear God talk to you? And being a little upset and uh, having gone through these interviews before, I said to him, of course I do, don't you? And I saw him shake his head, then right at the bottom of his form, psychotic. And he dismissed me. And as I walked down the hall, I thought to myself, well, Jim, you've just breathed your last breath of fresh air. You're on your way to Mayview, which was the state hospital at the time, which is now long since closed. So sitting in that room, I thought to myself, well, you have to talk to someone sane. Being where I was, there was no one available. So although I was no longer involved in a Catholic church, I was at a place where there was a Catholic church close by. So I called. Remember, folks, nothing happens in this world by mistake, and we've talked about this before. We talk about serendipity. We talk about synchronicity, okay? And this is one of those moments. A priest answered the phone, and in 20 minutes he was there. And his name was Father Raphael. And he sat down in that room with me, and I told him my story. And then he sat next to me, and he put his hand on my shoulder. And I'll never forget this. Remember, there's moments in your life that are specific and meaningful and impactful. When we talk about full impact mindfulness, this is one of those impactful moments in a person's life. He said to me, God speaks to everybody very few people listen. And this is where when I talk to you about if we're present and aware, if we're paying attention on purpose, a person, place, thing or situation, some event in my life will be there for you to witness and have some type of meaning. However, we must be there and avoid our time traveling exercises. So after getting out of that particular environment. I was on what people would call enforced sobriety for the next nine months, which for those of you who do something simply because you're forced to, I think everyone will understand that. When I refer to some of these previous podcasts as being restless, irritable, and discontent, that's exactly the way I was. I had, I had, nothing, I had done nothing to deal with myself. Nothing at all. Nothing to involve having a change in my thoughts and a change in my actions. I began to drink again, of course. What, what, what does a person do? You go back to what worked. Although it didn't work, that's a thing that you were comfortable with. And when we talk before, when we talk about those neural pathways, when we talk about those eight-lane superhighways that we jump on that are well-traveled and well-maintained, this was a well-established pattern of behavior that would at least take you away from pain for a little while. However, it would return just, uh, just as intensely. I distinctly remember losing... Uh, contact, which what some people would call a psychotic break. I specifically remember being on top of a mountain and it was completely dark. I was standing right at the peak and I was all alone by myself. The only illumination was, was flashes of lightning and my dead relatives were calling me to join them. All I remember was screaming. And the next thing that I knew that I remember, the next lucid thought I had was sitting on a bed with a psychiatrist's hand on the shoulder. And she said to me, I'm going to help you. And she did. And she did. So keeping in mind that 
uh, I was never an physically abusive, verbally abusive uh, type of individual. However, uh, when you're involved in those type of activities, you don't have to be definitely involved in some type of addictive behavior to be emotionally absent, to be a ghost in your life, to be a ghost in, in, in an environment, and really a ghost that other people could only see and not interact. And that's what happens to people in life when they become sheltered, when they become withdrawn, when they become isolated, when they become depressed, when they become anxious. They feel like they're not part of and become emotionally absent from not only others' lives but their own. So I remember specifically one night, it was actually the day that changed my life, was I was sitting in my house, and of course I was all alone by myself, and I remember being consumed with fear. I remember being consumed with fear that I was unable to put a name on, and keeping in mind that one of the things that I encourage and desperately want to get across to people is the ability to label and ascribe thoughts and feelings because without them you have absolutely no control over them at all and they can end and dominate your life. So I became very afraid and I had no idea what of. I had no idea whether afraid to be sober, afraid to live, afraid to die. I had absolutely no idea. Having no connection with the divine, having no connection with the creator, I was in desperate trouble. And the only person that I knew was to call uh, my best friend who I thought had some type of connection. And I asked him to pray for me that night. And I specifically remember, and you can think what you want about this, however, I was there. I remember getting up in the middle of the night. And of course, I had disturbed sleep patterns. And many of you out there may relate to having disturbed sleep patterns throughout your life when your thoughts and feelings were running wild and you had absolutely no control over them. I remember getting up and out of the bed in the middle of the night and getting down on the floor weeping. And I didn't call out to Jesus, Buddha, Ella, or the Great Spirit. I just called out for help. I made the most sincere prayer that any individual will help. I said, I'm done. And I wasn't just mean done drinking. I was done. There was nothing left. And I said, please help me. And it wasn't until then that I had the honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness to try. I was done and I surrendered. I understood that I had no control. And that night I received that help and that changed my life. So that next morning when I woke up, I knew that the first person that I had to see was my mother. Now keep in mind when we're engaged in a certain mindset and we're only involved with ourselves. So if you remember, one of the commonalities of people who are involved in different activities are selfishness and self-centeredness and they only think about themselves. So I used to go visit uh, my mother and when I would go visit her, uh, she wouldn't judge me or yell at me. However, my own behavior would make me feel bad. Remember, that's the cognitive dissonance. So how do we create consonants? Well, uh, maybe a normal person would either try to alter or modify their behavior. However, to see consonants, to seek a level water in my own mind so I could actually live with myself, I actually stopped going to see her. And I didn't visit my mother for two years. And that, that's, that's truly sad. So that morning when I walked into her house, she said to me, Jimmy, what are you doing here? And uh, I said, I've got something to tell you. And she said, oh no, what now? Well, because it could have been anything. But I asked that uh, old woman to sit down at that table and I took her hand and I said, I'm not going to promise you anything. I'm going to try. I said, I'm going to try to stop my behaviors and I'm going to enter a 12 step program. And that old woman just laid her head down on that table and she cried and cried and she he says, thank you, God, how I've prayed for this day. And it wasn't until that moment that I realized how I'd impacted her life. And I sat back in that chair and I thought to myself, what have I done to this woman? And I thought, what have I done to myself? What have I done to my family? What have I done to the world? Those feelings and thoughts are overpowering and overwhelming, and they can be. I urge everyone out there to please 
have some close friends, seek some professional help, be able to learn how to identify and label these thoughts and feelings and understand that you are not them. Understand that you can't think at these thoughts rather than from them. Let's try not to have them be the travel agent to take you on a significant ride to a not a good place. Please check out our website at fishingwithoutfaith.com where you can listen to the show, comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. If you're interested in flying the colors of Fishing Without Faith, click the shop icon on our website. We have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without faith. Fishing Without Faith is a production of Namaste Holistic Counseling, PC.